of Booch Please with Corinne. I, today I have a very, very special guest. This is one of my best friends in the whole wide world and one of my most trusted confidants, someone who's just very smart, very good at her job, and I'll let, you, I'll let her explain kind of what she does. Um, but I'm very excited to have you in my house studio today and we're gonna kind of dive into just a couple of things that we've been collaborating on or working on together. Thank you. And I think a lot of people are gonna find this information very useful in their like day-to-day -day personal development. Thank you. I love you. I love you, thanks for I'm being here. So happy you too. And this <laughs> is the first time I've actually heard you name your podcast. Oh, you never really? Told, you yeah. never told me what the name was. Oh, so. yeah, surprise. It's I, Booch, please. I love it, I absolutely love it. <laughs> You know I can't pass up like a good kombucha pine. So no. yeah, uh, yeah. It. Here we are. Also, every other podcast name in the world is taken, uh, which means I have resorted to puns to separate myself in an attempt. You have made a niche for yourself. I have made a niche. Yes, I'm going with the whole kombucha mommy theme. But anyway, enough about me. I want to hear about you. So I'm sure everyone's dying to know what you do, who you are. Sure. Why don't you tell them? Sure. Oh, I just love you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, okay, so I'm a coach and I work with business owners, other coaches on building their influence, on telling their story and expressing who they are at their fullest potential. And it's been a long, wild journey of getting here, a lot of which Corinne has been present for. Just a few career changes few. and pivots in the road. Yeah, I started out in music publishing. Mm -hmm. I was a songwriter, as you know, so I was trying to make a name for myself in pop music. Yeah, I almost made it into one of your music videos. Almost. Very, very close, but uh, yeah, missed my chance. <laughs> that was my one shot at stardom and I missed it. <laughs> TBD. Yeah, there TV. might be more. <laughs> you want me in your music videos? I'm very open. <laughs> Sideways cap. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but as well, we met at Lululemon, mm -hmm. and uh, I was working for that company for about four and a half years, doing a lot of side jobs as well. Um, music, yoga, teaching, personal training, um, stuff in PR, assistant work, and trying to find like. A diverse a place for me in such a diverse landscape of entertainment mm -hmm. and somewhere along the way a lot of travel influenced me in wanting to work for myself mm -hmm. wanting to help people just express who they were like the main uh, feature that is overlapping in each of the industries that I was in was helping people express their like core genius and be better at negotiating and communicating and having influence on people. Hi, Lily. Special guest. <laughs> and and I, I was seeing that like intelligence on its own is not enough to influence people. Mm. There is like a certain kind of magnetism and charm that comes when people really learn how to embody who they are and get really comfortable with expressing their power. And so that led me down the road of coaching, which is where I am now. Yeah, okay, I wanna go back to your point of working all these mismatched jobs. Okay. Back when you were trying to figure out what your sense of purpose was and what gift you were wanting to present to the world. And I think that is a very common Toronto, big city metropolitan hustle is to have a dream, but then have like 12 side jobs that support that dream. 
Mm, yeah. Absolutely. So what made you want to put your foot down and say, no, I'm actually only going to pursue one thing. Mm. What did that journey look like? I know it's not going to be a short answer, but kind of walk us through. Well, I think the, what pushed the needle the most was a realization that I didn't have to choose just one thing. And in fact, all of my interests could be combined in such a way that I was able to help people through all of the facets that I enjoy and that I have experience on or expertise on. Mm -hmm. And so instead of like choosing one thing, I just kind of created one thing that was that would involve all the things that I loved. But it was a process of like, I really like this, but I hate this part. Mm. I really like this job, but I would love to do less of this. And just picking and choosing each of the things that lit me up the most. Right. So it was a lot of, it was a perpetual like self-discovery journey. <laughs> yeah, and you did, you took some big steps in, in making those discoveries. Like for one, she lived in Bali for a full year. You lived on an island on the other side of the world from everyone that you knew and loved. And you put yourself in this very uncomfortable situation, even though it is a beautiful place. You know, I, I got to go visit you there, which was so fun. Um, but that was really scary. And so what do you think gave you the, the like bravery or the sense of conviction that that was the right thing for you to do? I think that is very unavailable to a lot of people. Like they can't fathom leaving behind their entire life, everything that they know, a country where they speak the language for something that is completely foreign. Mm. I think the question that came to mind was at what cost at what cost? Mm. If I don't do this, what is this costing me in my life? Right. If I stay in a city that doesn't feel like home, in a relationship that bores me to death, in jobs that are unfulfilling, with so far away from my family too, like at what cost? Because I'm making money? Because I have an apartment that to me was beautiful? Like it just, it wasn't balanced out. Right. And so it was actually an easier decision to choose the things that I valued more. Mm. Like living in a lifestyle that was congruent with my personality and like the family thing was hard because you're on the opposite side of the world. Like I flew away from people that I love. I know, I was very sad. I to be there. Sure cried a yeah. lot when you left. Me too. <laughs> I remember selling all of my things yeah. a couple years ago and boxing up my most precious prized possessions and being like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Okay, we're doing this. This is real. This is happening. Yeah. But there, it, it didn't feel like it was a courageous thing. And I don't, I'm not saying that to like be modest, but it didn't feel like a courageous thing because it was, it was the cost I was willing to make. I love that. Yeah. I think not enough people in our society, especially in our generation, evaluate their pain points or the level of pain that they're experiencing or that their life is costing them. Mm -hmm. And it can be very easy to fall into routine and do the same thing or follow the same footsteps as people that we admire because it's safe and it numbs us. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we don't realize that it is painful to be denied our true, truest potential to be denied the dream life that we had envisioned for ourselves when we were younger. Like, I want to fulfill a lifelong passion when we're all able to meet together. Right. I want to fulfill a lifelong passion of getting purpose and expression taught in schools. Mm. Because to your point, 
kids growing up and young adults, they're learning uh, very specified pieces of information, like integrals and um, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Allergy. Very Yeah, very specific things that a lot of adults use, for sure. But maybe that's 10, 20, 30% of adults in general, whereas 100% of adults need to learn how to authentically relate to one, each other, to one another or have difficult conversations or build rapport, and they're not teaching that in school. Absolutely. And if those skills were present, maybe they would then find the courage or um, act in alignment with their values to be like, actually, mom and dad, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to take a year for myself and work this job because it makes me the happiest. It's the happiest option right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge difference between teaching English and teaching people how to communicate, (laughs) right? It's one thing to learn a language. It's another thing to be able to use it and have the emotional intelligence, the courage, and the confidence to verbalize like whatever it is that you want and ask for what you want without feeling like it's out of reach or you don't deserve it. Like that sense of self-worth. You don't deserve it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's also huge. You know, all of this, this big, epic, bold journey, which has been very short, you're very young, by the way, um, has now led you to being a coach and being uh, someone who works with other people and helping them realize their story and realize their voice. So walk us through what that means. Like, what does your job really entail? Like, what are some certifications you've requ- acquired to help you do that job? Sure. So a lot of the work I find now is working with business owners mm-hmm. who have built like a thought leadership or they have products and services where they themselves are coaches or they sell informational products and the business problems that they are confronted with they they perceive them as like very very business obstacles Mm. when in fact they're just personal problems in disguise Mm. that are leaking into the business and a lot of them having to do with their pillar of identity and self-worth and boundaries and resources like all of the facets of business like let's say operations that uh, um, uh, a challenge there is really just a reflection a projection sorry of the challenges in operations of the self if there's if there's lack of stability in finances like they can't predict their next quarter it's a projection of like the lack of stability within themselves and seeing value in themselves. So I work with people on that level of like the embodiment level so that their business, they're not putting out fires in their business. They're just building a solid foundation of energy to put in the business. Yeah, and to your point, I feel like as a, as a self-employed person myself, mm-hmm. I can read all the books in the world. I can watch all the TED Talks, listen to all the podcasts, but nothing can replace working with a human being, mm-hmm. getting real live feedback on that. Um, like nothing can beat the growth of that. I mm-hmm. can consume as much content as I want to, but truly having a coach like makes the world's difference when it comes to implementation, accountability, having honest conversations when the feelings arise. Whereas, um, yeah, there's no sense of urgency when you're reading a book or watching a video. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, like I have this information, I'll just use it later. I'll use it when things come up. 
But when you're working with a coach, it's like you have to address that now. And I feel that way in my nutrition coaching practice as well, is all the information that I'm sharing isn't groundbreaking or flashy or sexy or like special. But because I have years of experience, I'm able to curate it and communicate it in a way that addresses you right now and you can't hide from it. You have to confront it and learn it. And we're gonna, and I'm gonna hold you accountable to executing it, executing it. That was a weird intonation. <laughs> what I was noticing is I was um, hitting resistance mm -hmm. with clients and the resistance was coming from a place of consciously and logically the business owner was like, I got it, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna implement what you're saying or what feels to be true for me here. And then we reach our next session or the end of the month and be like, yeah, I didn't do it. And it's because the conscious mind is the goal setter, mm. but the unconscious mind is the goal getter. So it's responsible for all of the behaviors yes. and actions necessary to see that goal to completion. So I got curious, why is it that we have such great rapport and they are telling me that they're going to do something, but their actions say otherwise? Where is this dissonance in integrity? Mm -hmm. And so that got me interested in neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis and all of these other tools and techniques that coaches use to help people change at the identity level. Mm. Like to your point with, um, with overcoming these body image issues, like you consciously know that you're confident, that you're well-spoken, that you're well-educated beyond compare, but there's an area of the brain that is holding onto the identity of an older Corinne, of a much younger little girl that doesn't believe that she's enough. Yeah. And so that lies dormant in most business owners. So we have to go to that child or that whatever archetype you want to use and speak to that person directly mm -hmm. through something like hypnosis and say, listen, your time's up. You're not seven anymore. Or you no longer, you've served your time. Thank you so much for your service, but you can, for lack of a better word, you can die off now because there's a new career in town and she's got stuff to do and she really wants to do it consciously. She really, really wants it, but you're holding her back. So why don't we, and Let it go, yeah. yeah, so hypnosis helps us do that. Oh man, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago now, I had a really interesting conversation with a friend who is one of the smartest neurologists I've ever met in my life. I know I use like, um, what are those called? Superlatives a lot? Like smartest. Yeah. No, well, not yeah. hyperboles, but like superlatives, <laughs> like smartest, coolest, funniest, but truly I think very highly of this person. Mm. And we were talking about this idea that every single person has multiple personalities. Yes. Like we all have personalities that we're able to try on. This isn't like a crazy psycho break thing. It's just that we have personalities from childhood that we've developed and we've realized oh, like that's not acceptable behavior or um, we get punished if we put on that personality. Like for example, when kids throw tantrums and eventually they know, oh, there's, there's a timeout associated or, oh, I can't eat my snack or I can't um, watch TV if I throw tantrums, they begin to kind of push aside those personalities and take on new ones. And as a result of pushing aside some of these more traumatic personalities, we create compensatory reactions that 
compensate or try to offset the consequences of having those personalities. And for me personally, growing up with immigrant parents that didn't know how to communicate to me that there was a generation gap and a cultural barrier because they didn't know how to speak my language, they didn't understand the world, the North American way that I was starting to acclimate to, there was a lot of trauma in you know, this new person that I was becoming, this new version of Corinne that I was becoming, realizing that there were a lot of things about her that created consequences. Like, for example, if I spoke my mind too much, if I, you know, um, acted, I don't know, out of line according to my parents, or if I didn't speak Chinese at home, like, I would get in trouble for things like that. And so slowly, all of these, like, little punishments, little ticks began to add up, and sometimes they can lead to traumatic kind of um, experiences, and we hold on to those without knowing that we are. Even though we've moved on to the next personality, we don't know that the previous one is still there and it's kind of looming shadows and holding you back in some small way. There's so many ways we could go from what you profoundly just put together. Like, I'm deeply attracted to Jungian's work, like Jungian psychology mm. on archetypes and the those shadow archetypes that shadow are still cells. lying in there are disempowering and they act out of survival. 100%. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I love that. I love that we have a friendship where we can talk about things like this. First yeah. of all, get you a friend who you can talk about like neurology and like psychology with. It's the coolest conversations. Um, but kind of going back to what I was saying about multiple personalities, how do you think someone can begin to understand, you know, what kinds of personalities or what kinds of um, past relationships with themselves are holding them back? Mm. So... For someone to really alchemize the part of themselves, the part of their personality that is holding back themselves back, first they need the awareness to that. Like they need to be awake to the fact that they have dual consciousness, that they are in themselves an expression of duality, some part of them that is survival and a part of them that is empowered. So mm -hmm. first step, they would need to wake up and be like, there's parts of me where when I am this person, I don't feel tapped into my power. Mm. I feel insecure, guilty, afraid, shameful, hurt, worried. And a recognition of there's this other part of me that when I feel this personality, I feel strong, sexy, well-spoken, um, kind. I feel these good qualities that I want to hang on to. So first part would be they would want to have the awareness of that. And second would be like integrating those parts through, of course, you could work with a coach. But if they are working on their own, meditation and journaling is the best place to start. And I know that those aren't the sexiest answers and they're overused, but they're overused for a reason. Yeah. Because if you can take a stream of consciousness and be like, why did I act that way with that person today? Why did I react to my boyfriend that way? And really pull it out. You can start to circle parts that are actually your shadow personalities speaking. Okay, we're gonna get to journaling <laughs> in a second because she's a wizard when it comes to journaling in like the most mystical, crazy, cool ways. Um, she just like could write something down in her journal and it'll happen. But first I want to touch on meditation. So my experience with meditation has always been, I'm not 
the kind of person who can sit for 30, 45, an hour every day to just think about nothing. I have tried, it hasn't stuck, and I wanna honor that part of like my intuition. That's not something that works for me. But what I have found is even like five, 10, 15 minutes of meditation can be profoundly helpful. And how I like to describe it is an example I got from this app called Headspace, which is a meditation, guided meditation app. But they had a cute little animation that kind of depicts what meditation does. Because for me, the longest time was, I struggled with knowing like, well, what does it do if I don't think about anything? What does that actually do for me? You know, other than just feeling like a waste of time. And for, based on my understanding, it's when you meditate and try to think about nothing, it's not that you're actively deflecting thoughts, is that you're allowing yourself to think about thoughts without judging them. So if I think, oh, I like really don't wanna go to work today and deal with this particular difficult client. Instead of saying, no, you're a bad nutritionist for thinking that, you're terrible at your job, you should get your shit together and go do your best. Instead of responding to that in a negative or positive way, I just let the thought exist. And so instead of trying to, you know, run into a highway and stop the cars, stop traffic and stop thoughts from happening, it's like you are sitting on a big hill watching this flow of traffic. You're watching the highway. You're watching the cars pass by you without needing to interfere. And over time, this develops more and more distance between you and your thoughts. So instead of feeling the need to react on it right away, you're able to observe it and then say, okay, what can I do about that thought? You know, does it serve me? Can I let it go? Should I follow it? And so it gives you so much more empowerment and control over your life and over what you think. Because we think that what we think is our first reaction and therefore we need to follow it. That's not true. You can create so much distance between that. And that pertains to nutrition specifically when people have cravings or when people have a tendency towards food, when you comfort eat, when you wanna eat in secret, when you wanna binge, you know, all of these are reactions that you can distance yourself from over time and be able to feel like, oh, I really want to eat a giant bowl of ice cream and a piece of cake and a bag of chips right now, but you know what? I'm gonna honor part of that craving. I'm gonna start with half a bowl of ice cream and then I'm gonna see how I feel. And over time, you're gonna find that, you know, I don't actually need a piece of cake either. I, that craving is satisfied, I don't need that bag of chips. Like I'm okay with eating a small portion and satisfying that craving. And that's so like powerful. It's something that you can't really experience instantaneously. It takes chronic repetition, consistency to develop, but it's so freaking worth it once you get there. Like you're actively participating in life rather than having things happen to you or having your body happen to you. Hope that makes sense. A hundred percent. Dabs on that. I love the, that was such a beautiful metaphor with the traffic too. And you spoke to something that I would love to touch on too. Please. There is a space of time or energy, both, where there's like a stimulus Like, I want the cake. Mm. There's a space between that and then your action Mm -hmm. and your response, right? And if you're used to living in a life of reactivity, it's like stimulus, action. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't even think. You just, you, that's They're almost equivalent. Yeah. Like, if I have this, I must, this must happen. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is a complex equivalent factor. You Mm -hmm. make meaning of, I felt this, so I'm going to do this. But if you were to hang out in the space of it, and say, oh, 
oh, where did I learn that I need to do that? Absolutely. What do I actually need or how will this serve me? Then you can move from reacting to responding. Mm -hmm. And responding is a space of like intellect and emotion all at once. Right. Because you're really taking into account what this will do for you. Right. And what it means. Absolutely. And that's exactly what habits are. It starts with a stimulus and an action and then it ends with a reward. And the stronger or the greater the reward is, or the more instantaneous reward is, the more likely you're to re repeat that habit. So with a lot of people that struggle with binge eating or, um, or like sugar addiction and things like that, as soon as you feel an urge to eat or to binge and you satisfy that like very, very quickly without thinking it through, without creating that time and that space in between to question your, your stimulus, then you reap that reward very quickly. And that's why it is perpetuated. And that's why you'll have another sugar craving. That's why you'll have another urge to binge is because it happens so quickly that that habit is always so reinforced. It's reinforced. Loop. Yeah, absolutely. It's a loop. I mean, going back to the whole journaling thing, I mean, that, that was my explanation of meditation. Why do you think journaling and identifying your shadow self is so important in helping you understand what's you and what's not you. Mm. Because you are writing your life by living it. I know that sounds poetic, but it's actually like very specific. Like what you think and your self-talk, what you're saying to yourself is writing out the rest of your life. Mm. What you're saying, the communication that goes on in your brain and in your actions is creating the rest of your life, the whole story of your life. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to take the time and journal out what's going on in here, stream of consciousness style, you can see the physical of what's going on in here mm -hmm. and can begin to understand how the physical of what's, what this is creates the physical of what's around you. Can you expand on stream of consciousness style? Yeah. So stream of consciousness writing or automatic writing is you sit down with a pen or typing. I like the kinesthetic aspect of writing pen to paper and you just write whatever comes to your mind. Very similar to meditation where you're just observing the traffic and the thoughts, mm. but you, in this case, you are signifying it by writing it out mm. and timing yourself 10 minutes or 20 minutes and just writing for that full 20 minutes mm. there will come a point maybe not in your first session of stream of consciousness but maybe later where you start to things come up for you ideas either in your head or from your chest or throat or any part of the body that you feel compelled to write down mm. and that is your instinct, your intuition, and your subconscious, or maybe even your higher self, depending on if you wanna look at it from a spiritual aspect, that's what's trying to be said to you. That's what's trying to get communicated to you. It's very interesting, but I think what a lot of people can, can struggle with, I, I know that I did in the beginning, is knowing what is compelling to write down because there could be a thousand thoughts that go in our gut that we experience. It could be like, I'm too hot right now. There's like wind blowing. I can hear whistling, like things like that. And so they feel like, oh, like that's so trivial. Like that's not important. Why should I write that down? So what would you say to help people differentiate between what's compelling and what isn't? 
I would ask them, what if you wrote it all down anyway? Mm. What if? And what if you kept doing that? Because I, I can't, what I don't want to say is watch what happens or audit and edit in the moment. You do not want to audit or edit in the moment. Mm. moment. You literally want to get through it. It yeah. will change. Some of the things seem tedious and unrelated, but trust me, it is so related. Even going back to my example, if someone just writes down like, it's too hot in here, I hate this room, I don't like the color, um, I hear whistling and it's really bothering me, it's making me miserable. Like if you go back and you read and everything is written in that negative tone, it gives you a sense of how you feel in your life and how happy you are in your life. And that in itself is an, an incredible piece of insight, Yeah. right? If you If everything in your house or in your world is aggravating you and annoying you, then something needs to change. That's a sign too in itself. And even though one of those lines doesn't really depict that, it doesn't speak to anything conscious or intelligent per se, but the overall tone of what you write is also important. I think it, it's, it tells a story. It's, yeah. And I think to your point too, like it's all intelligent because you're later able to use it. Mm-hmm. Like you're able to see, oh, Often, I write about how much I hate my job. Mm. What does that mean for me? Right. How would I change this? Yeah. What would life look like if I wrote about how much I loved my job? It starts, it's perceived value that comes up because you start mm. to think about what else is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think we live in a world where therapy and mental health are still new topics, even though there are a lot of buzzwords that float around and people are starting to realize how important it is we're all still very new to what is important to our mental health and what isn't. I mean, the general public is anyways. I'm sure there are professionals out there that are like, we've been preaching this for decades. But for the general public, we don't know what signs or symptoms of negativity or behavior that doesn't serve us look like. So this is one way that you can start to create records for yourself. And it's one of those things that's tedious, but if you're consistent with it, you're saving yourself money and time and energy down the road. Like collectively, it is so freaking worth it to even put 15, 20 minutes per week. I think that's a good start to just engage in some sort of journaling process. Um, what does your journaling process look like right now as and an advanced journaler? <laughs> <laughs> can I get a plaque? That's yeah, like yeah, you can. That'd be the hey, mom. plaque. <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't go to university? Yeah. <laughs> I got this instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my journaling practice looks like waking up in the morning, meditating, and then immediately journaling because I receive a lot of thoughts during my meditation mm-hmm. or I notice a lot of thoughts that I immediately want to write about or want to expand on or unpack. Uh, sometimes it just starts with like a question too. And I allow myself to be intuitively guided to that question, but if you want prompts, like any what kind of questions will be really useful Mm -hmm. instead of why, because why gets into the reasoning and the past. Like, oh, that's fascinating. Please expand on why. Okay, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) if this will be useful for coaches that listen Mm -hmm. to your podcast too, why questions aren't really the best questions to ask your clients because it gets them thinking of, Um, how they're at effect for something instead of how they're at cause. 
So they'd be thinking of this happened to me instead of this happened for me or this happened because of me. And so the why questions have them start thinking about the past and it gets us in like disempowering thought. Whereas what questions are precise, there's an exacting measure to explaining what's meaningful about something. Okay. Instead of, instead of why it matters. It, there's like a very subtle difference. Can you give an example? So an example that of a journal prompt would be, okay, so what not to you say? Why am I upset by this situation? Okay. Instead of what specifically am I upset about? Mm, okay. Where did this come from? Okay, what I'm sensing here is um, any sort of what, where, and how questions tend to be more within our control. Like we tend to have the answers to them better. I couldn't tell you why this was happening to me. Mm. Maybe the universe has a greater plan. Maybe God or whoever is doing this all for a reason. Cool, but I couldn't say what the reason was. I couldn't explain why. Right. But I think when it's framed as a how, what, or where question, I can better identify like specific points. Yes, even who? More control to that. So, the the process of like like one of the best things that makes us human is that we can prune away at like our neurological loops right and so what you just expressed in that you don't know why those types of questions of who what where um, how recover the source mm-hmm. and that's why they're such powerful questions because yeah. they allow someone to recover the source of where they learned that behavior so that they can change it at the identity level. Wow. Cool. And obviously you would be able to do that in a in real time or rapidly with a coach, but you you could do it by yourself through journaling mm-hmm. because you can physically see the identity. Right. You can physically see the source too. Right. There we go. That's like a free thing that you guys can get started at at started with at home. Um I also do want to get into um this idea of being like intuitive versus acting out of past behaviors because that's something that we've talked about and I completely struggle with listening listening to my intuition versus acting out of old fears or old behaviors and patterns like for me the example that I always use is procrastination I know I have a tendency of avoiding the things that I feel like I might fail in Right? or the things that might bring me success and I don't know how to handle that. So whatever it is, procrastination for me is driven by fear. And so when I have a giant project or when I do a big collab, a lot of the times I'm fucking scared shitless because I've never done something like that before. I'm figuring it out as I go. And so part of that is me procrastinating like, uh, you know what, I'm gonna make this Instagram post first or I'm gonna cook first. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, clean my house first. Um, but. But you were saying that sometimes those tasks that seem to take you away from that end goal or the completion of that work can actually be intuitive. Mm. So I want to know how we can navigate between intuition and old tendencies that are driven out of fear and uh, negativity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so for someone to identify the thoughts and feelings of are, is this out of fear-based patterns and behavior or is this my intuition talking to me? Mm-hmm. If someone is going to do the work of identifying which is which, it cannot be done if they're not hooked into their own power. Mm-hmm. 
please don't expect anything of yourself if you're not hooked into your own power. Otherwise, you're going to make unclear moves in varied directions that will keep you stuck. So then the question then becomes, how do I get hooked into my own power? Mm -hmm. You do the self-reflection work, like meditation, like automatic writing or stream of consciousness, like taking care of your body, like doing whatever it is you can do to get into a place of feeling really happy and fulfilled with what you have right now. Mm. Like really being present to it. I know it's not the sexiest, most practical advice, but it is it is what gets you hooked into right now. So the solution to that is doing ongoing self-care activities that fill our cups, that keep us present, that make us feel abundant. So that when tasks like this do arise or when big goals, big scary projects come up, you're able to pour from that cup. Right. And you're ready to tap into intuition rather yeah. than resorting to fear-based compensatory reactions. Mm -hmm. Kind of going back to what we were saying before. Give from a place that like you've already given so much to yourself. Mm. Because then it feels really, really good to give. And you want to keep doing it over and over yeah. again. You don't feel like um, there's a boundary crossed. Right. You don't feel like you're being taken from. You don't feel like a victim yeah. because you just want to give because you have so much power in you to give. Mm -hmm. That's where you, wouldn't you want to live from that place? 100%. Mm -hmm. When we went to San Diego for the influencer conference, mm -hmm. Raw Goddess brought up a point that I want to borrow now to speak about that, how self-care is preached but people have a problem with permission. Mm -hmm. Giving themselves permission to feel good. Mm -hmm. Giving themselves permission to take a day and read a book or sing a song mm -hmm. or go to the park. They have a problem with giving themselves permission to try and then permission to be convicted that this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. To love yourself is a good thing. Right. So much of our actions in life are motivated by negativity by fear and punishment because that's what a lot of us grew up with we didn't have parents that read psychology books or early child development books my parents did not know how to raise a kid but they did their best god bless their hearts love them to death um but it's my responsibility now to learn how to give myself permission it's not too late to do that and i think permission is something that sounds really sad like we are grown adults you know we have our own homes we cook our own food we have our own jobs why do we need permission from ourselves because it's but a shadow do. archetype that's still active 100 the wounded little girl that is waiting to be told that it's okay mm -hmm. needs permission yeah. for that yeah oh that's so that's such a cool tie-in <laughs> to what we were talking about it's like we planned this talk <laughs> we really didn't i can't read the prompter can you please move it up a little bit exactly. can't read the word. <laughs> i wish i could afford a prompter honestly <laughs> um yeah i love that i love that our talk kind of took us full circle like what are some things that tangible things that you think they can get started they can use to get started um on this journey of discovery and empowerment well a journaling ex exercise feels fitting here mm. but first i have guided meditation for them oh if yeah they, if they would like it's more of a guided hypnosis for unlocking that expression that is being suppressed by like shadow archetypes mm. um so if anyone's ever wanted to try hypnosis on themselves in the comfort of their own space they can download 
a self-confidence hypnosis. I think they would love that. Yeah. And to expand a little bit on my experience with hypnosis, going back to what we were saying before, um, when Natty hypnotized me, that sounds like a sounds like a rap song, like a hip hop song. <laughs> um, but yeah, when Natty hypnotized me today, it felt. I felt completely in control of my thoughts. So it's not like someone's telling me to do silly things that I didn't want to, or I had no idea what was happening. I felt so present and I felt like transcendent. That's the only word that I can kind of use to describe it. I, she covered me with a blanket. I was lying down on my couch and I didn't, I couldn't feel any of it. Like I couldn't feel the softness of the blanket. I couldn't feel uh, my pillow elevating my head. I couldn't feel like the inside of my mouth as I was breathing, my tongue was like pressed against my teeth or my the roof of my mouth. I couldn't feel any of that. So it kind of removes any physical like sensations or feedback. And as a result, I like was only consciousness. I was only my, my brain and my thoughts. And that was like a very, very interesting thing. And I could hear her and her words made sense, sense to me, but I felt like I was able to like manipulate the, the meaning behind them. Like I was able to choose to take them in or choose to ignore them and reject them, which I'm sure, I don't know if that's how hypnosis works, but totally. to me, that's how it felt. Yeah. So though, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Hypnosis works on the basis that your unconscious mind is there to preserve the body. Mm. That's one of the prime directives of your unconscious mind. So it will not accept any suggestion that is going to put you in harm's way. Threatening. So in a sense, and I, I want to clarify this part too, like I'm actually not hypnotizing you. Like hypnosis is not a done to you mm. process. It's a done with you. I'm going into trance with you, and I'm actually following your lead. You are hypnotizing yourself. You are tapping. It's 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 a feedback. It's a it's a almost a feedback loop in which all of the resources that are already within you that are empowering are working to speak to the disempowering parts of you mm. to change and to alchemize into more resourceful. Um, traits mm. and parts of your personality. That's why when people go through really deep healing sessions, whether coaching or otherwise, mm. and they have a very cathartic release, that's why usually people will leave a session feeling so energized because it takes a lot of uh, energy for the unconscious to repress things. Mm. And once those are, once it's unlocked and they're they're released and that they're worked through now the unconscious mind can give more energy back to the body right to do more empowering things that's so okay i love that you brought that up because i think that's something that people can use to look for signs of repression or compensatory actions is if you're exhausted and your brain is tired and you feel like depleted lethargic and just like apathetic towards life chances are you're using your energy to repress some shit. A hundred percent. Yeah, you're using if a you lot If you take of anything away from this podcast episode, it's exactly what Corinne just said. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Let's <laughs> leave them there. And I'm going to link your hypnosis down below so that you guys have access to it. It's free. Highly recommend you, you guys carve out some time and just give yourself that space to experience. Maybe it'll take a couple of listens for it to really resonate for you to really feel safe and comfortable enough to unwind and let down those guards and uh kind of 
lift that veil of the ego. But once it, once you feel it, once you feel enlightenment or just a sense of lightness, like that's how you know it's working. And then do all the other exercises that we talked about during the episode. Um, well, before we get going, I want you to plug your stuff and then we're going to do a quick little rapid fire okay. um, qu- question round. So why don't you tell them where they can find you? Great. Come hang with me on Instagram at Natty Valencia. You can find a ton of resources on my website in regards to the guided hypnosis that Corinne mentioned and resources for business owners. And I also have a three-day challenge that is all about rewriting your best life. So there are journal prompts within that video challenge and it's all on my website, nattyvalencia.com. Awesome, (laughs) nattyvalencia.com and Instagram at nattyvalencia. Give her a follow, you guys. What are you doing? It's free. Take all the free stuff. Do it. Do all the free things. Take all the free stuff. (laughs) All right. Rapid fire. There's going to be around 10 questions. Okay. And uh, you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Where were you born? Edmonton. What is your star sign? Cancer. What would your spirit animal be? A tiger. None of this uh, surprises me because these are all things we've already talked about. I'm actually surprised I said tiger. Because you usually say lion. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Maybe a liger. Nineties <laughs> <laughs> kids will get that. Reference. Yeah, true. <laughs> all the all, all the, the Gen Z are like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, they're like, wow, um, that's a vintage movie. How dare you? Um, all right. Spirit animal is a tiger now. Okay. okay. It shit changes. Yeah. Um, what would be your last meal on earth? Uh, uh pasta. Which is so boring. Specific kind? Like seafood pasta. A little spicy. Mm, mm, Like a white sauce or... Mm, Tomato. Tomato sauce. Okay. Let's get messy. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your last meal. Who cares? What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Part of your world from The Little Mermaid. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. I get really into it. Yeah, we also do uh, Mulan, Make a Man Out of You quite often. We did it. Like every time we see each other, we'll do that. Uh, Oh, what is a quote that motivates you? Wisdom begins with you. Wow, what does that mean? All wisdom comes from you and Mm. comes from within you and comes for you. Mm. It's all centered in like literally you. Yeah. And your essence and your potential and your intellect and your emotions. People tend to take on other people's wisdoms or other people's experiences and think that that's them and sometimes it doesn't serve yeah. yeah okay that's a great one what's the f- what's your favorite place you've ever visited in the world um the ocean like being in the ocean but any particular part of the ocean i really enjoyed being in ahmed in indonesia okay underwater it's not a specific point it's is that just- where you um saw stingrays that was Komodo. That was Komodo. That was also beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. was dope. Yeah. All right. Well, last one is what's your favorite kombucha flavor or what flavor combos do you think I should try with kombucha? Favorite for me is pineapple ginger. Oh, yeah. I made that before. Yeah. That's a good one. Good for the gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of uh, digestive enzymes from the pineapple and the anti-inflammatory properties and soothing properties of the ginger. That's Love my favorite. It. And then the probiotics of kombucha. Um, I love that. Thank you so much for doing this. You're the best. Thank you for having me. Oh, <laughs> I'd be lost without you. Thank you, Lily, for doing absolutely the nothing, um, but distracting us. You're the cutest. <laughs>